Hi, this is Beth AQ, and this is the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. The Glass House is a space for spoken word artists, poets, sound makers, audio storytellers, emerging cultural leaders, thinkers, writers, and anyone who celebrates story as a means of self-expression, self-representation, and community building. I hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at BethanyAQ or the Triple R website. Everyone in the world has gone to bed one night or another with fear or pain or loss or disappointment. And yet each of us has awakened and arisen. There is the nobleness of the human spirit. Despite it all, black and white, Asian, Spanish, Native American, pretty, plain, thin, fat, vowed or celibate, we rise. afternoon to you. You are with Beth AQ here in the Glass House for the next hour. The Glass House is presented each and every week on the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional custodians of this land and pay my respects to elders past and present, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Coming up on the show today, in just under 10 minutes, I'll be speaking with Annalise and Ashley, two of the creators involved in creating a new book of poems from people that are currently incarcerated. It's called None of Us Are Free Until All of Us Are Free, Poems from the Inside. And it's a project that comes from the Incendium Radical Library in West Footscray. If you don't know their work, they are a community library, a reading room and a publishing press with a focus on radical politics and critical literature They always have really wonderful initiatives, so I'm very excited to be chatting to them about this new collection. Later on in the show, I'll be joined by Public Art Officer Emily Cormack and artist Timmer Ball to chat all about Monument to Now, More Art 2020. It is a new exhibition of temporary public artworks that explore the essence of Melbourne's culturally diverse and creative North. And this year's exhibition, of course, will feature a digital More Art platform to profile the works in a contact 
contactless COVID safe way, as is the way of this year, it's going to present eight newly commissioned site responsive artworks um, that engage with ideas of deep listening. And it's happening all along the upfield bike path from Coburg Station to Gowrie Station. So I'm very excited to learn a little bit more about that. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Human rights advocate Charandev Singh states the prison system is not broken. It is operating how it always and continuously intended to operate. It breaks people. It it amplifies the impact of harm on people's lives. It fails to make anyone accountable. It is a system not capable of fundamental reform. These words are featured in the opening of a new book of poetry called None of Us Are Free Until All of Us Are Free, Poems from the Inside. It is a project project by the Incendium Radical Library and Press. And joining me to speak about it this afternoon, I have Annalise and co-author of some of the poems, Ashley. Uh, thank you both so much uh, for your time this afternoon. Thanks for having us. Uh, it's it's a real pleasure to to chat to you both. It's been um, so interesting going through and, and reading some of these poems over the uh, the last little while. I'd, I'd love to start with you, Annalise. Uh, I believe you co-founded the Incendium Radical Library. Uh, it is a collectively run community library. Can you tell me a little bit about, I suppose, how and why you created it and the, the work that you're doing with it? Um, yeah, definitely. I think firstly, um, I came to um, this work with None of Us Are Free Until All of Us Are Free as someone who has not been incarcerated. Um, and so I definitely do this work in solidarity with people in prison. Um, but Incendium Radical Library um, and Press is, we try and focus on radical politics and critical literature. Um, and we try and um, prioritise and centre voices of um, people most marginalised. Um, so I guess in um, in None of Us Are Free Until All of Us Are Free, we wanted to show the really incredible talent of people who are incarcerated um, and whose voices are often silenced. Mm. Um, and at Incendium, I guess we kind of see that this silencing is what helps to maintain and uphold um, yeah, the kind of prison nation, I guess, that we live in. Um, and we wanted the writing to question what prisons do to people and why they exist. And, and just before we do get to some of the writing and, and Ashley hearing a, a little bit more about your experience, um, I'd love to, to know a little bit more about how this specific um, project came about. Um. Yeah, I would, I'm also really um, eager to hear from Ashley because I think you know, the purpose of the book is to really centre the experience of people incarcerated. Um, but it is, me and Ashley were talking about this and um, it is cool to talk about the process because I think part of um, the difficulty in the process is um, something we wanted to highlight around um, how disconnected people are who are incarcerated. Um, and so I, I put a call out through people that I write to, um, some newsletters that go to various prisons. One of those is Inside Out, um, and also through various connect- connections that I have to people inside. 
um, and then ask them to um, let their friends know about it. And Ashley will speak to that as well. But it is like a really difficult system to navigate um, and it is made that way. So even things like um, often letters don't get through to people as a form of punishment. Um, so they don't make correspondence easy. Uh, and this is, um, and you know, even after the book being published, um, many people who are still inside um, can't receive a copy of the book uh, because you have to be on somebody's property list to do that. Um, so I've been able to send it to people who've been released and to people's family um, families who are outside. Um, but for some people, they're yet to receive a copy. Um, and I'd love to hear from Ashley about this too because uh, she has firsthand experience around the difficulties um, of, yeah, this system of kind of um, having a, developing a project like this. Mm. Yeah, Ashley, I'd love to, um, I suppose, hear a little bit about your experience and, and what this process has been like for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it, and first of all, you know, the amount of talent that is potentially wasted due to the suppression of people who are incarcerated is quite alarming. Mm. Um, you know, and as, as, as most people know, talented people require a certain type of environment to thrive and to think. And, you know, as Annalise said, prison is not an environment for this kind of talent. Um, they can open their minds and their hearts in a way that they may have never been able to do before with these projects, given the environments that they were in before, during, and sometimes after incarceration. And projects like this and this beautiful poetry book, you to, to be a part of this project had been an absolute privilege. The, the meaning, the cause, everything about it makes sense. It provides an open conversation about the people behind it. You know, the struggles, the doubts that we face, and that in our minds, by putting ourselves and our names in something that may be a letdown, is is stressful and nerve wracking. But mm. I looked at it as a form of art therapy, and it it is a very effective one. Um, it had been very difficult to convince um, them to participate, and also for myself. And yes, I I did send in a few submissions that um, without their knowledge, um, I, I knew it would pay off. Um, to see their confidence skyrocket, the belief in themselves came to fruition and the poems that were produced, as you can see, are absolutely amazing. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and to be proud of and amazed would be an understatement. And what this book is all about is to show that these are people nonetheless and this poetry book shows you this. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And Ashley, I'd love to know a little bit more about what the, I suppose, what the process was like. I know that you co-authored um, some poems in here. Like, what, what was that process like for you? Yeah, so um, it was quite easy, to be honest. So I received the um, application for this um, book in the Inside Out magazine. Um, and as the LGBTIQ representative for female prison. Um, I then took multiple copies of it and took it to people I know who had that talent um, and sort of put it up around the prison to see if there's anyone sort of hiding. Um, and I guess that's what it is. Um, you know, the struggles to get them to produce something because of all the no's and all of the issues that they face anyway. Mm. I think that was my biggest challenge, not so much for myself, but... Um, to get other people who are not in the same sort of mindset or the same situation I was in um, is quite difficult, I guess. 
And yeah, and obviously this year's a, I suppose, a tricky year with uh, a lot of COVID happening. Um, I'm interested in, I suppose, what that, what that kind of um, process was like. Were you able to actually f- physically come together in the same space and, and do that kind of collaborative work? No, so unfortunately not, given um, they still require social distancing inside the prison as well. Mm. Um, so it's still the same sort of um, rules that they are in outside, that they are inside. Um, obviously, things need to be mended, but a lot of things, like, for instance, we can see our GP, we can see all those sort of stuff on the internet. Those sorts of things were cancelled. Support services were required to be on the phone. Um, coming together in a group rarely happens as it is, but it was even more um, difficult once COVID hit. Um, so... You know, COVID-19 in the prison is, does not go down very well. So um, it just made it a hell of a lot difficult to, yeah. I'm a bit nervous I'm going off on tangents. <laughs> no, you're absolutely fine. Um, I, I think that it, it, it feels just from reading these works that like, uh, hopefully this project was a way to kind of come together with people, even if you kind of physically couldn't be in the same room. Did you feel like, I suppose, through this project, it was just a way to uh, to connect? Yes, definitely. Um, you know, there was a lot of... Um, some of the girls who wrote in required a bit of grammar and spelling. So not only was I able to provide that, but I was also able to have an open discussion about their poems and the stories behind them, mm. because all of these poems are based on their own personal or family situation. That's why they're just very, very deep and actually mean something to whoever reads them. Yeah, absolutely. If you have just joined us, we are chatting with Annalise and Ashley all about a new book of poetry called None of Us Are Free Until All of Us Are Free, Poems from the Inside. Ashley, I'd love if you're um, happy to to read uh, a poem that you've co-authored in this collection. Yeah, definitely. Um, So this one is called A Letter to My Younger Self. It was done for the LGBTIQ plus... um, group that um, was started inside the prison called the Freckles Group. Um, It was also done in collaboration with um, Inside Out members, um, so Annalise, um, (laughs) um, and also um, uh, from people from different organisations as well, in collaboration with them and some of the girls from inside the prison. Um, So I'll just start it off. Um, uh, Turn your wounds into wisdom. A reminder that it is a bad day, not a bad life. Be kind to yourself. A rich life is one that enriches others. A reminder to not cross oceans for people that wouldn't jump puddles for you. Be kind to yourself. Don't act on it. Don't react on it. Let it be. Whatever it may be, be kind to yourself. Drugs won't build a solid foundation. They will destroy your family, friendships, and companionship. Listen and trust those around you who love and care for you. A reminder to build on true love, not war. Be kind to yourself. I spent my whole life judging myself. It never got me anywhere. Stay strong. Be proud. A reminder that it's okay not to feel proud all the time. 
your value doesn't decrease because of other people's inability to see your worth. Be kind to yourself. Don't hate the player, hate the game. It's not your fault. You never asked for it. You are not to blame. Trust your gut. It is usually right. Never doubt your ability to overcome anything that comes your way. A reminder, be kind to yourself. So that was done in collaboration with quite a few of the group members um, and also um, some of the organisational members that helped build Freckles as well. That was our support group. We met every four weeks inside the prison as well. Mm. It's, a, it's a really powerful uh, work that you've created together. I'd love to know, I suppose, a little bit more about, you know, there's there's quite a few of you in that group about how you I suppose negotiated that kind of editorial process of, of putting these words together and in a page and all kind of agreeing on, on, you know, what you wanted it to sound like and what you wanted it to say. Yeah, definitely. So every time we had the group, we, we sort of, um, the group before decided what we wanted to do in the next time we had the group. Um, and this was one of our projects. So we all came up with a sentence, a, a saying, a, um, a quote, that meant something to us. Um, so we all individually did that, and then we came up with a few together. Um, and then, yeah, with, um, with Annalise's help um, and the IRL, uh, IRL's library, sorry, um, we were able to make, then that was made into a beautiful poem, I guess, just by each individually having our own quote um, and adding them together. So. Mm. I love that. I think there's something really special about that kind of that uh, really fine collaborative work when you're kind of going word by word with other people. I think it's a pretty uh, special collaboration um, and it seems like a very interesting experience to have. Um, I'd, I'd love to know, I, I suppose, a little bit more about the way that the, the whole uh, collection is put together. You know, there's I suppose references throughout the collection that have been woven through of like of great prison prison abolitionists like, you know, Angela Davis and I suppose a lot of people that are doing or have done or doing really great work um, in advocating for people that are incarcerated and I suppose abolishing um, prison systems. I'd love to know, I suppose, what role these people have played in informing the work of this collection. I'm not sure if that's for you, Annalise or, or Ashley. Mm, yeah, I think um, maybe I'll... Speak to that because I, cho- I chose the poems, <laughs> but um, those kind of um, quotes. <laughs> I guess um, you know the purpose really of this book is that it would hopefully like build connection, would hope hopefully like try and um, humanize people that are often dehumanized, um, and so all of those people um, and some of those projects that those people, um, work from as well have inspired me to do the solidarity work that I do. Um, and they also, I think, um, bind the book together in a way that, um, I guess like threads, like a commonality to it. Mm. Um, and you can hear that also in the words, like of the poems themselves. Um, but really about how isolating, you know, prisons are, um, and how they maintain the oppression of people most vulnerable and marginalised. Um, and I think the kind of threads of that as well as those quotes, um, yeah, have 
they inspire me to kind of keep doing the solidarity work that I do. And I hope they inspire others as well to support people inside um, and to also work on things that, yeah, stop um, prisons prisons themselves. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sorry, Ashley, were you going to say something? No, no, I was just agreeing. Mm. <laughs> um, Ashley, I'd, I, I'm not sure if you've, you've got the physical copy of the collection yet, but if you have, I was just wondering... What that feeling is like when you kind of see the the physicality, you know, like that physical object that you've um, put all this hard work into creating. What was that like? I do I do have the copy. Um, it's obviously easier to send mail outside. <laughs> um, when I received it, it was like it's. I guess it's difficult to explain. Um, it was just. I don't really know how to explain it. And I think that's a really good thing because to be a part of something that it seems so small, um, but it just, it's not because the meaning behind it is what matters the most. The way that we all came together to do it and having that physical, I've got it, I'm holding it in my hands now. Um, it kind of brings me to tears a little bit because I, I know these people that have written in. Um, I've been with these people for years and some of the talent that has been produced in this or not in this is just... It's, I'm, I'm, to be proud is an understatement, really. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I'm just mumbling now, but... <laughs> No, um, you're not. It's uh, it's it sounds like it would be a really special feeling. Yeah, it 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 definitely is. Um, not only for myself, but for everyone that's written in as well. Um, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. Um, I am going to have to let you both go, but I do want to say a massive thank you for uh, yeah for sharing your words and your work and um for making time to chat with me this afternoon. Thank you, Beth, yeah. and thank you so much, Ashley. Yeah, to um, to you guys both. But you know what? To put this kind of project on air for um, your listeners is fantastic. The more um, we're able to break down those barriers and you're able to see them as a human being, not their present situation or their crime mm-hmm. or what they've done, is, is absolutely amazing. So a massive thank you to you guys as well to put us on air and talk about this subject because it's definitely needed absolutely i couldn't agree more a big thank you there to annalise and ashley Uh, we were chatting all about the new collection of poetry called none of us are free until all of us are free poems from the inside it's a project that's made in collaboration with the incendium radical library and press uh, and you can find out some more information via their website This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how.
Monument to Now More Art 2020 is a new exhibition of temporary public artworks that explore the essence of Melbourne's culturally diverse and creative north. This year's exhibition will feature a digital more art platform to profile the works in a contactless COVID-safe way and it's going to present eight newly commissioned site-responsive artworks that engage with ideas of deep listening to create a monument to now. It's happening all along the upfield bike path from Coburg Station to Gowrie Station and it does kick off on the 11th. Joining me to speak about it, I have Public Art Officer Emily Cormack and one of the commissioned artists, writer Tim Ball. Uh, thanks both for your time this afternoon. Thank you. Thank thanks you. Good us. to be on. Uh, always a pleasure to chat to you both. Um, Emily, we might start with you. I believe that this is the 11th year of the annual More Art Public Art Series. Obviously, this year has uh, demanded that we create work a little differently. Um, what kinds of things went into uh, creating the series this year? Kia ora, koutou wamanjika. So um, as you mentioned, I'm Emily Cormack. I'm the public art officer at Moreland and I'm also a freelance curator of contemporary and public art um, in New Zealand and Australia. So Monument Now is an exhibition I've been working on for um, over a year now uh, that has been rescheduled many times, a story that most creative producers will be very familiar with. Mm. And this latest iteration, um, as you mentioned, is the 11th in our annual More Art uh, exhibition of public art that that Moreland have been doing for a long time now, just as a way of increasing people's awareness and interaction with public art um, on on the upfield bike path. So for this year, we wanted to focus on the northern regions of the upfield bike path, extending out into communities that are not often engaged with through public art. Um, so just to go back to the beginning, because I conceived of the idea for this exhibition um, about this time last year, or a bit earlier, and um, we were thinking about targeting that area specifically along the upfield bike path. And I wanted to think about how I might approach it. So I went for a walk along, sort of slow walk along the bike path and listened to what was there, just trying to see what was there and, and feel what was in that space. Um, sort of engaging in a process of deep listening. And I guess I began to see the past and the present and the future on that path and began to see how all of these forces were culminating in a kind of temporary monument that encapsulated our way of being at that moment in time. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure if uh, many of you have had a chance to look around and experience that um, bike path up between Batman and Gowrie in particular. Uh, It's a very interesting site, very interesting space. And at first it just sort of seems to be this anonymous industrial site with buildings that have their sort of backs to the path. There's lots of tilt slabs, sort of cheap industrial architecture. Um, But on closer inspection, you can detect these beautiful moments of incredible tenderness, Um, small subjective kind of human moments dot the path. There's community gardens, there's sort of anarchic kind of mosaics and these small gestures of human kindness. Um, You know, and the site is sort of typified by this beautiful coming together of industry and intimacy. And it was this combination, this kind of confluence of forces that I really wanted to think about as a kind of monument to now um, and invite artists to think through it. Yeah, I think, um, I suppose, public artwork is really interesting this year in particular because I think people are 
uh, people's relationship to public spaces, I think, is shifting with having, you yeah. know, particularly uh, in these areas that you're kind of creating work. Um, I'm, I suppose, like, with that in mind, um, yeah, how has that kind of informed or influenced the, the work that you think has been created for this? <laughs> Well, this exhibition had to be completely reconfigured so that it was a COVID-safe exhibition. I got, um, you know, not only did I get sick of rescheduling the show, but I also got sick of going for kind of long, lonely walks, um, in well, one-hour-long walks in spaces where I felt they could have been activated by art in some way. So I wanted to think about how I could shift what is essentially an exhibition of public art into a space that could be experienced during stage three lockdown mm. as someone by someone who was just going to get their groceries. And so we shifted it, um, just shifted it completely in, in a way which for me felt very typical of the moment that we're in, um, this idea of thinking about public art through the cipher of a digital platform. So what we've done and what I did was I worked very closely with Virtual Moreland, which is a really interesting part of Moreland who are trying to, um, you know, animate and think about the virtual within Moreland and created a digital platform whereby the artworks are actually triggered by QR codes that are located at specific points along the bike path. So there are three sculptural works that are there that you can see in three dimensions um, and then there are five works that are actually um, experienced virtually through scanning the QR code and listening or viewing through your um, through your smartphone or your device um, and so in this way I was able to you know create an exhibition that was still very site responsive um, and that you are you experience it within a specific spatial locale but it was also totally COVID safe and contactless and could go ahead. I could plan for it <laughs> um, despite whatever happened with the numbers. So in this way, it became a very interesting kind of monument to now um, where not only are we talking about public art, but we were also talking about um, the role of digital technology that's increasingly become embedded within our, our beings and our, our, the way we experience the world. Mm, absolutely. Um, and Tim, I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, the work that you've created for this piece. I, I've read that you've uh, written something about the Lincoln Mills, um, which is going to be turned into a sound work. Which sounds really interesting. Can you tell me a little bit uh, about what you've created for this? Yeah, for sure. So interestingly, I feel like it almost operates on two levels. It's a poem called Songs You Can't Hear, which essentially is a homage to the history of the Lincoln Mills site and its diverse iterations. It's now a kind of Bunnings, homeware centre, whereas it was originally a manufacturing um, area where a lot of factory workers from different sort of migrant waves who came to Coburg were working there predominantly women manufacturing things like socks and hosiery and which we sort of found out through doing some research were quite involved in a lot of labour struggles and riots in order to try to get um, higher wages and better working conditions. So it has this really interesting history and almost these patterns of different cycles of labour and we kind of know that increasingly when you go further up from Brunswick and definitely into sort of um, areas probably more around Moreland Station, Coburg is rapidly gentrifying and that sort of labour is becoming less and less 
existent and we're moving into different types of economies now and it's really interesting to sort of see how these sites are reimagined. And then I guess there's the bigger issue of sort of what this means when it's happening on Wurundjeri, Bunurong land of the Kulin nations and how that culture, which is ever-present and ongoing, at the same time can easily be erased because when you start doing research, a hundred things come up about the migrant history to Coburg or labour and manufacturing and industrial history of Coburg, but very little comes up around the traditional and ongoing owners of Coburg and the amazing impact that Koori and Aboriginal people have had to the north, which I found really interesting. And then I guess, sorry to keep on going, but I guess the poem also really became about, which Emily spoke of so eloquently, the sort of challenge and almost strangeness of making public site-specific art in COVID. I definitely thought there was a big chance come May, June that it wouldn't happen and it would just be something that maybe happened next year or maybe just sort of disappeared. Um, Funnily enough, I was actually just reading that there's this new map that's mapping all the (coughs) cancelled events of COVID. Oh, God, it's devastating. Yeah, so I saw it was in The Guardian and that just, Mm, if anything, it was quite painful that someone's decided to map all the events that have been, all the art events, I should say, that have been cancelled. But then it's also this amazing reflection that more art wasn't one of them and that we've been able to adapt. And obviously you can't sort of do a site-specific performance, but you can do other things like recording the poem. And I guess for us, we've decided to try to record it in different languages to kind of, again, deepen the experience in lieu of the ability to actually create some sort of live performance Mm, in the building. And can you tell me a little bit more about, uh, I suppose, the translation into different languages? Like what languages? Are they local languages? What what are they? Well, yeah, that's been really incredible. Um, I guess sort of reflecting on what I was saying before, there's this immediacy to kind of easily go, well, what type of what type of languages have been spoken in Coburg? And you sort of almost like there's this autopilot response of Greek, Italian, Arabic, maybe there was some Vietnamese migration. Like you just sort of can tick off and you even have these resources, be it council resources, um, ABS, statistics. But what becomes, again, sort of deeper and more urgent is the lack of ability to think about interpreting an English poem into Woiwurrung, which is probably way more important and speaks so much more to where we should be heading and what we should be thinking about. But there's so many complexities, be it the first that English doesn't necessarily translate into First First Nation languages. It's more about a process of interpretation. Mm -hmm. And the idea that, yeah, I guess I think there is a sort of sadness that we have Mm -hmm. tools and resources available to us 
quite easily to think about migration to places like Nam, but the actual original custodians, yeah, because of like the erasure of colonisation, there isn't necessarily these opportunities. And I think part of the reason is that it doesn't fit into capitalist or Western modes of mm, thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, ideally, and, it would have been fantastic to be able to collaborate um, with Wurundjeri Land Council to facilitate a translation. But as you say, the timeframes that we're operating in are, you know, these sort of imposed kind of commercial timeframes that are not necessarily conducive to, um, you know, the processes that you need to undertake. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so we, sorry, Timur, what were you saying? What what languages did uh, have they been translated into? We actually have an Arabic translation at the moment and are in the process of um, finalising a Greek and Italian translation. So they're the three languages that um, are quite strongly spoken and have a strong history to a lot of um, labour and industrial workers who immigrated to Coburg probably post or after World War Two, mm. So we're in the process of that and I think there's an ongoing thought process about what it means in terms of honouring the sort of ongoing sovereignty of cooler nations and even thinking about, I mean, for me, what comes to my mind is Rajari writer and academic Dr. Janine Lean recently edited a collection of First Nation poetry called Guayu, and she was very clear that even though there's lots of poems in it that are in an Aboriginal language alongside the English, it's not really about translation. It's about mm. interpretation. And a lot of those processes took years and years and years, and it was about the First Nation writer writing in English first, but then connecting to their elders and building a relationship on how they interpreted their English poem into their own ancestral language. And that's just really, to me, it's just really powerful to sort of recognise that it's never going to fit into our capitalist Western timeframes. And maybe it's this really brilliant opportunity to shift that type of quick turnarounds and constant production and but rather instead thinking about deep long-term relationship building as a form of um healing in a way Mm, yeah yeah it would be it would be an interesting work wouldn't it because you know the Lincoln Mills is this extraordinary monument to um you know multicultural um you know Melbourne and you know, it would be interesting to see what bringing in a Wurundjeri voice might might mean or how it might shift the meaning mm-hmm. of the work. If you have just yep. joined us, we are chatting with Timur Ball and Emily Cormack all about uh, Monument to Now, More Art 2020, a new exhibition of temporary public artworks uh, that explore the essence of Melbourne's culturally diverse and creative north. Um, Timur, I'd love to know, I know that um, this work, your, this, this uh, kind of poem and, and poetry that you're talking about is a work that is um, going to be listened to as opposed to read and also I suppose listen to in a way um, that involves movement, you know, like the 
um, the upfield bike path and the, the areas in which this work will, will be is, is, you know, quite a hive of activity, particularly now as the weather is starting to get warmer. I'm interested if that kind of idea of the moving audience or the moving listener or the, you know, the person that's going to be engaging with these works, uh, that movement factors into how you have created what you've created. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there was this, this really strong awareness that people aren't going to be sort of viewing it in a really static way, in the sort of sense of you come into a room or an area and you hear someone perform something live or alternatively you look at a book or an online publication and just read something. So, yeah, I think there was definitely a sense of movement, but for me, in a way, almost placelessness. I think what I've been finding, which kind of connects in a way more to the sort of COVID geographies, is that we're moving, but in so many kind of different or limited ways that I think sometimes I don't feel as connected Mm. to environments and suburbs in the way that I used to. I think I was also really imagining that anyone who might listen to it could also just be in so many different places as well. Like Mm. they could be walking around along the upfield line in that kind of geography, but they could also be listening to it in regional Victoria if Mm. they sort of go on to the website. Um, And I think for me, what's really interesting when you think about movement and place is that I've developed, um, yeah, the poem and sort of content without actually physically ever being to the Lincoln Mill site. Um, And that was something I referenced in the poem is this idea of there was this potential for Joel from Liquid Architecture to organise a workers' permit for me Mm. to go to the site when we were still in the 5K radius and Mm. I live in Kensington, so it was a little bit, yeah, it was just outside of my 5K radius, which is this whole new way Mm. of viewing the world. And I kind of sort of felt a little bit, I don't know, a little bit comfortable, uncomfortable in lots of ways because I sort of feel like ah, there's this sort of sense that, which comes into labour and class, is that there's so many people who need working permits and people who just are doing sort of much more urgent frontline work. It almost felt kind of trivial to sort of <laughs> go through the process of organising someone's permit, a, a, a permit to just write a poem. And, and again, it's like I'm not trying to degrade the labour or integrity or what a poem or piece of writing can produce or mean. But in this kind of, again, COVID um, world that we sort of quite abruptly entered unexpectedly, yeah, you start evaluating work and what work is more important and it sort of felt okay (laughs) to write Mm. about place and movement bizarrely enough without ever leaving Mm. my lounge room that often. I'd I'd say that's probably a 
Yeah, an experience that's very of um, of 2020. Um, I do yes, have to yeah. let you both go because it's uh, almost time to meet, get on out of here. But I want to say a big thank you so much for uh, for your time. It sounds like, yeah, you've both created something really special. Thank you. This is Beth AQ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at BethanyAQ or the Triple R website.